going to be in Matthew chapter number 13 this morning. Matthew chapter number 13. Uh, continuing to look uh, at the parables of our Lord. A couple of weeks ago, we started in Matthew chapter number 13. Of course, we looked at the parable of the sower, but I mentioned last uh, in our last message that there are seven parables in Matthew chapter number 13, and all seven of the parables uh, uh, can be combined uh, to complete one picture. Although each parable can stand alone and each parable can be taught alone, uh, all of the parables come together to form a, a complete picture and uh, a complete message. As we travel through each of these parables, uh, we can see how each of them are linked to uh, and further explain the working of the kingdom of God among men. And so this morning we're going to continue looking at the parables in chapter number 13. And to begin, I want us to just read uh, some, uh, the remainder of the parables here in the chapter that we can see them listed together as a whole. We'll not read the parable of the sower. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago, but we'll begin in verse number 24, and we're going to read down through the remainder of the parables that we might see how all of these parables are linked together. In verse number 24, this is immediately following uh, Christ explaining the parable of the sower. And in verse number 24, he begins and says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, a little thought for you here, what's happening while you're sleeping? But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said to him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay. Lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. If you would drop down to verse number 44. The Bible says there again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth. And for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind which when it was full they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be welling and gnashing 
of teeth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll get into the message this morning. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you, Lord, how that your truth, your word is applicable and, Lord, that it applies today. And, Father, we thank you that we can look into your word and, Father, we can find answers to questions. We can find solutions to problems. Father, Lord, we can find reasons for why men do the things that they do. And, Father, I thank you that you've given us a word that is rich, that is full, that is alive. And, Father, Lord, that can be such a help to us each and every day. I pray, dear Father, that you bless now as we look at this parable this morning. I pray, dear Father, that will be clear. I pray it'll be understandable. I pray, dear Father, Lord, that it'll uh, instruct us. And Father, I pray that it'll convict us, Father, according to your word. If there be any here this morning that doesn't know you as Savior, that's never accepted you as Lord and Savior, that's never yielded their life to you, then Father, I pray that you will work in their hearts this morning. And Father, Lord, that the, the message will convict them and reveal their need to put their trust in you. Father, I pray. Thank you for the privilege of being able to to be in your house this morning. Bless us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Here in uh, Matthew chapter number 13, of course, as we see, we see that there are seven uh, parables. And as we saw a couple weeks ago, the first parable is the parable of the sower. Uh, the parable of the sower, of course, uh, illustrates sowing the seed and how men will receive and respond to the seed of the Word of God. The second parable uh, that we see here uh, is the parable of of the tares, the parable of the tares, and I've titled this parable, The Problem of the Pretenders. The Problem of the Pretenders. You see, a parable uh, is an earthly story that God, Christ gave during His time on earth uh, to illustrate uh, a spiritual truth. Now, there's some things we need to understand uh, about parables. Uh, uh, there are definitely spiritual meaning in the parables, uh, but the parables were given by Christ uh, to a group of people uh, illustrating a common thing uh, with a spiritual thing to help them get a grasp on, an end, uh, on a particular spiritual truth. Now some have taken uh, and have tried to draw meaning out of every aspect uh, of a parable. And many times when you try to do that, uh, if the Bible does not give that meaning, uh, you will do harm to the God, Word of God rather than clarify the Word of God. So when we look at the parables, uh, we need to understand the truth that Christ is teaching uh, and apply the parable as such uh, to the truth that Christ is teaching. And here in this parable... Uh we see the problem of the pretenders in the house of God. Now in the parable of the sower, as I said, we are given a picture of true and false conversion. We learn from the parable of the sower that not everyone who hears the word of God is a born-again believer. It is only those who receive the word of God, only those who the word of God takes root in their heart, only those who grow and produce fruit are true believers. The Word of God is spread. The Word of God lands upon many hearts. We looked at how that there was hard soil and the devil takes the seed away. We saw how there was rocky soil. There was thorny soil. And we see how all these things could choke and hurt the seed. We saw how that there could be hardships, difficulty, things of the world that would reveal that although they had heard the Word, they did not truly receive the word and therefore were not true believers. Uh, here in uh, 
in the parable of the tares, Jesus presents another area where unbelievers will infiltrate the ranks of true believers. In verse 36 down through verse number 34, we skipped that when we were reading the passage, but if you look now at verse 36 down through verse number 43, we see that Jesus gives an explanation of this parable to his disciples. The Bible says there starting in verse number 36, then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into, his, into the house. And his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable, the tares, the field. He answered and said to him, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. Now, an important thing for you to notice here, in the first parable, the seed was the word of God. Now, in this parable, the seed is representing individuals. This is how Christ explained it. So it's an important difference to notice, and this is why we need to follow how Christ explains. The tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be welling and gnashing of teeth. Here we see that Jesus explains that there will be those in the church who have been placed there by the devil himself, who will look and act so much like a true Christian that even those who have truly been born again will not be able to decipher whether or not they are Christians. They will be people in the church and in Christianity as a whole that the devil has placed in Christianity and has placed in the church that will look and act like Christians so perfectly that even Christians will not be able to tell whether or not they are indeed a believer. This is the truth that Jesus is illustrating with this story of the tares. Now he uses a very practical illustration in speaking of the tare. The tare is a grass uh, that is nearly indiscernible from wheat, especially before maturity. So whenever you sow the field and it's sowed with wheat and you sow the tare in amongst the wheat, whenever they come up and they begin to grow together, it is nearly impossible to discern which is a tare and which is wheat. It's nearly impossible to know which is which. And then not only is it difficult to discern them, but when they grow alongside each other, in such close proximity to one another, their root systems become uh, intertwined together so that if you were to grab one and pull it up, you would damage all those around it. And so we see here there is a problem in that there is tares, and this is something that the folks there would have understood. They would have known this, having been familiar with crops, that when a tare comes up in the wheat field first, you cannot tell which is which. And if you try to guess, you may actually pull up wheat thinking it's a tear. Or if you do correctly identify a tear, 
you will damage the wheat in pulling it up. So you, you can't discern it. There's a risk of damaging. So you must let it grow. And it's very difficult to tell them apart until they reach maturity. Now, I feel like there's a whole application to be made here, but we're not going to make it today. I'm just going to let you make it in your mind. But when they reach maturity, the, the grain, the fruit, if you want to call it that, is completely different. The wheat will have a full open head and the wheat will kind of droop with the weight of the grain whenever it reaches maturity. But the, the tare will remain upright. It will not droop. The seed pods are very small. The, the, the grain is very small. It stays very close to the stalk. They stay completely upright and there's not many seed pods on it. So at maturity, there is a clean difference can be seen between the wheat and the tare in the fruit that they produce. There is a clean difference that can be seen. Also, it is vital important that when you harvest uh, that you separate the tare from the wheat uh, because the grain of the tare, uh, uh, even in a small amount, even in a small amount, if it is mixed uh, with the wheat, uh, when you consume it, it'll cause dizziness. If you consume it in large quantities, it can even be poisonous to you. It is something that has to be separated. But many times it is impossible. Matter of fact, all the time it is impossible to separate it until it reaches maturity. So whenever Christ used the tare as his example of false believers, he in his wisdom selected a natural, a natural plant that very accurately represents what we face with false believers in the church house. We see that Jesus, knowing these things, he used this natural occurrence to present a picture of the fact that there would be those in the church and in the world that would pretend to be believers. There would be those amongst us who pretend to be believers who would appear to believe in the Lord Jesus to the point that even those who are true believers could not definitely tell them apart. They would be so closely intertwined in the fellowship of the church and intertwined in the movement of Christianity that it would do damage to remove them. Christ made a perfect example when he compared the tares in the wheat. He let us know that there will be those among us who in truth are lost deceivers, placed in the family of God by the devil himself for the purpose of weakening the effectiveness of the church of God. It is actually a very effective attack technique that the devil uses. In mixing among the children of God, and mixing in the realm of Christianity as a whole, those who claim to be Christians, uh, those who will use the Word of God to defend what they do and why they do it, uh, those who will teach uh, about the Word of God, those who will exalt themselves uh, as leaders concerning the things of God, but who in truth uh, have been placed in that position by the devil himself for the purpose of weakening the church of God. This is a serious issue. 
And Jesus is telling the disciples, you need to be aware that not everyone who says they are a believer is a believer. You need to be aware that not everyone who says they are a Christian are indeed a follower of me. You need to be aware that not everyone who preaches from my word is indeed preaching the gospel as I would have it preached. This is a serious issue that you as my disciples need to be aware of. These supposed Christians and church members are placed in the church for the purpose of corrupting the purity of the church. But because they so closely resemble true believers, many of these will not be revealed until the last day. The Bible makes it clear right here in this parable that it is beyond my ability to determine who is and who isn't. That's out of my ability. It's not for me to determine who is and who isn't. And many of them, some will reveal themselves before, as we'll see in just a moment, but many of them we will never know. Some of them we will never even suspect until the judgment day. It's a sobering thought. It's a sobering thought. But there is coming a day when God will separate the pretenders from the true saints. There is coming a day when every pretender will be revealed. There's much we could look at in this parable, but this morning I want to look at just a few things that we can learn about the church by considering this parable the tares. First thing that we can learn, we've already mentioned, but we'll just uh, state it one more time, and that is that it is the devil uh, who places uh, these pretenders uh, in the church. The devil places the pretenders uh, in the church. Jesus clearly presents and explains this fact in telling the story. He said that the householder said, an enemy uh, hath done this. Uh, then in his explanation, he said that Satan is the one that is responsible uh, for these pretenders being uh, in the church. There is no reason to try and explain away or alter the clear teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in his word that there would be false pretenders in his church. There's no reason to try and explain it away. There's no reason for us to say that we're exempt. There's no reason for us to say that we have never been affected or listened to the teachings of someone who was a false pretender. There's no need to explain it away. Jesus clearly said the devil has placed them there. They are among you. He made this very clear that the devil has placed them here for the purpose of hindering the effectiveness of the church. Because of this, because we know this truth, that the devil has placed them there and they are here. We as Christians ought to be on guard not to be drawn in by every person who claims to be a Christian. Now although it is beyond my ability to accurately determine who is and who isn't, sometimes there are some telltale signs. Paul said, if any man preach any other doctrine than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. 
There are some telltale signs. And it just because someone claims to be a Christian does not mean that they are rightly dividing the Word of God. Just because someone claims to love Jesus does not mean that their philosophies on life are accurate. Just because someone claims to be a part of the family of God does not mean that that what they say and what they do and how they act is exactly how a Christian ought to live doing that. There are pretenders among us and they are doing their best to convince you that they are a believer, but they are not a believer. Therefore, they are not adhered to the Word of God. They are not trying to live by the gospel of God, but they are subtly trying to create a gospel that fits their lifestyle and selling it to you as true Christianity so that they can have a following and more people will believe that they are who they say they are when the whole time they're corrupting the holy word of God. We know that they're among us. Jesus said they're among you. We know they're among us. Therefore, we need to be aware that we don't get drawn in by every person who says they're a Christian. Jesus said those in Thessalonica were more noble. Why? Because they searched the scriptures to see if those things were so. American Christians as a whole, now you know where you fit in this individually. And if you don't fit my description, then I'm not talking to you. But American Christians as a whole tend not to search the Word of God. American Christians as a whole really like Psalm 23, John 3, 16, the Romans wrote and a couple other passages that their mom liked and read to them when they were a kid. And that's about all they know about the Bible. And I'm not being judgmental. There have been uh, independent organizations have done worldwide surveys on this and found that to be true. American Christians do not study the Word of God. They would rather someone else tell them what they're supposed to believe about the Word of God and that just saves them the trouble of getting in God's Word, reading and understanding and familiarizing themselves with it. But the problem is uh, when you allow everyone else to tell you what you ought to believe about the Bible, you are prime bait for the false pretenders to build a following with. And I'm telling you what, our world is full up of Christians who grab a hold of every philosophy, every whim, every teaching, everything that comes out that sounds good. Oh yeah, I like that. Well, I don't know if that agrees with the Bible. Well, the man that said it, he's a Christian. Well, maybe he's a tyrant. If what he's teaching doesn't agree with the principles of the Word of God, I don't care how much he preaches it, how much he teaches it, it is wrong. And if you align yourself with it, you are aligning yourself with a false believer and you are weakening the cause of Christ and the ministry of the church. We can learn from this that the devil has placed false believers in our midst. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter number 11 and verse number 13, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. You know, you might say, well, Pastor John, I can't believe you're talking so harshly about these well-meaning people. Paul says they are deceitful workers. They're not well-meaning people. They are trying to change the gospel to fit their lifestyle. 
He said in verse 14, And no marvel, this is not something we should be surprised about. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, verse 15, Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, Satan's ministers, also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. What do we learn from this thing about the tares? Live by the book. And don't jump on every philosophy wagon that comes through trying to convince you that the old-fashioned way is too old-fashioned. Don't jump on every ride that goes by that suits your fleshly desires and suits the way you want to live because some supposed Christian is supporting it. Don't jump on the wagon because it fits you. Check it with the Word of God. And if it don't match, don't worry what the world has to say. Live according to the Word of God. The Bible says in the book of Titus that he called us out to be a peculiar people. And I'm telling you, less and less and less do Christians stand out acting different from the world but more and more and more I see Christians partnering with supposed believers who are teaching things contrary to the word of God and they are looking more and more and more like the world and whenever you find a sinner who is looking for a savior they are not interested in a church that has the same thing they've already got and we lose our effectiveness to reach the world for Christ. There are tares among us. Tares among us. A third thing, or a second thing we can learn from this parable. Not only do we learn that the devil places false believers among us, but we can learn that the church is not a perfect place. The church is not a perfect place. I know normally I would have these points on the screen, but... Y'all can write them down. I'll say it one more time. The church is not a perfect place. We learned this from the parable of the tares. You say, how do you get that, Pastor John? Well, if there's false believers amongst us, then we're, we're not a perfect place. Not to mention the fact that we who are true believers are simply sinners saved by grace who are still growing and learning and who are still going through the process of sanctification and we've still got a lot of fleshly things that need to be worked out of us. And so when you got a group of sinners who are learning how to be saints and a group of sinners who are pretending to be saints, you can mark it down that the church is not going to be a perfect place. Many people, many people justify avoiding attending church and the ones who will use this excuse are those who claim to be Christians. And they will avoid attending church because of the hypocrites. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going down there with that bunch of hypocrites. I'm not going down there and hanging out with that bunch of people. They say one thing and they do something else. You know, this is a hypocritical statement in and of itself. To say I'm not going to church because of the hypocrites is a hypocritical statement for you to make because you say I am going to live in disobedience to God because the people at the church are living in disobedience to God. God commands that His children be faithful to the house of God, but because there are people in the house of God who are not perfect, I am going to just stay at home and live in disobedience to God. 
I'm telling you what, it's a foolish statement. But many people, they'll say, no, I'm not, not going to church because of the hypocrites. Well, whenever you look at the parable of the tares, you understand that when Satan has infiltrated the church with unbelievers who are only pretenders and not true children of God, they will have lives that are full of inconsistencies. Now, it's hard for you and I to decipher because here is one person who is living, because they're a pretender, their life is full of inconsistencies. So we see them on one hand. And then over here we see a Christian who is struggling with a weakness. So us in our human understanding many times are unable to decipher the two. But mark my words, the tares are not looking to grow in Christ. They're only doing what they have to do so that they can keep their disguise up and nobody picks up on the fact that they're not a true believer. And when you got a church that has people in the congregation who are filled with inconsistencies and discrepancies, it's going to cause confusion in the minds of the onlookers. You know what? Whenever you see someone who is consistently behaving themselves in a manner that is not becoming of a child of God and they are not facing any correction or any conviction or any dealing from the hand of God, although you may not be able to stand up and say that person is an unbeliever, you would do well not to listen to much that they have to say because it's a real good chance they're a tired. But instead, what we do is we're like, well, you know, so-and-so, I mean, they miss church pretty regular. I guess I can too. Well, so-and-so, he's a good Christian man, and, and he involves himself in this worldly activity, and he involves himself in that worldly activity, and so-and-so, he's a good Christian man, but I heard him use some foul language the other day, and if he can do it, then I guess it's okay because he's a good Christian man. No, no, no! What's happened is you're letting a false believer make you believe that what they're doing is accepted by Christ when it is not if it's in violation with the Word of God. Paul said when we compare ourselves among ourselves. We're not wise. The Bible is the only true authority. But we can learn that the church is not a perfect place. And the third thing we can learn from this parable of the tares is what I've already got ahead of myself a little bit on, and that is this. Do not excuse sin by comparing yourself with other people. You know what we like to do? We say, now I, I, I don't have a problem with smoking, okay, but let's pretend that I do. I'll be a pretender for a minute. How about that? So let's say I have a problem with smoking. And I know that it's not honoring God. I know that it's a poor testimony. I know it shows to the world that I have no self-control and that I'm not able to overcome the desires of this flesh. And it shows that I'm not living a victorious life and all kind of bad things about this. But, but I really like my cigarette. Boy, you know what? It just, at the end of a long day, it just kind of calms my nerves. And I enjoy smoking that cigarette. And so and this is what I like to do. And maybe somebody talks to me. Maybe a, a friend or a loved one is concerned for my health. Maybe my pastor says, you know, brother, you'd be a lot more effective as a witness if you, you know, put that cigarette away and uh, begin to feel some conviction about this cigarette and that I do need to put it aside. It would be better for me and make me a better witness. And then I see a good brother. We go somewhere together. 
He says, brother, you mind if I smoke a cigarette? And I'm like, hot dog. It's not wrong after all. This good brother smokes, I can smoke. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I break mine out too. You know what? The parable the tares tells me that I am not to excuse sin by comparing myself with other Christians because it's very possible that the person I'm comparing myself with, that weakness that I'm thinking okays my sin is actually an indicator that they are not a true follower of God. We learn that we're not to excuse sin by comparing ourselves with others. The last thing that I want to point out, and I'll be finished this morning, and this is a little different angle than what we've went so far, but I feel it's important to deal with, is many folks will take this passage of Scripture and they will use this passage of Scripture to say that because of this passage of Scripture we can't practice church discipline. Because the parable of the tire says we can't root them out until the end because we might harm other believers, so therefore this is teaching that we can't practice church discipline. Well, let me just clarify that for you in a real simple statement. This isn't dealing with church discipline. In the book of Corinthians, the Bible clearly explains the process of church discipline. Whenever a believer, a member of the body of Christ, is living in open, blatant sin and refuses to repent, then the church is to remove them from the congregation. This passage isn't talking about those who are openly, blatantly rebelling against the commandments of God. This is talking about people who look, act, talk like some of the best Christians you ever met. And it is impossible for us to determine who they are without causing harm and confusion in the church. This has nothing to do with church discipline when a believer openly rebels against God in front of everyone. Completely, completely different issue. This passage is dealing with pretenders. The devil has planted pretenders in the church. I believe that the Christian realm has got a lot of pretenders. Boy, there's a lot of people that with social media have been able to create themselves a platform. And with that platform, they have been able to propagate their teachings. And they have garnered a lot of followers. And I believe that a majority of them are tares. I believe that a majority of them are touting themselves as great Christians when in truth they are carefully and subtly undermining the truths of the Word of God. Now, if you found out some social media you like to follow that gives some good uplifting passages, I'm not saying that that's wrong, but let me just give you a word of wisdom. And I'm not, I'm not promoting myself. It's just the way God lined it up. Find your doctrine at your local church. Find your doctrine 
under a man of God who you know knows you and prays for you and searches the word of God and preaches to the congregation the messages that God lays on his heart for that congregation and you will find that you are a lot better equipped than some social media guy who is just looking for a following so he can make more money because of how many times you click on his video. There's coming a day. There's a lot of folks out there that's pretending and you and I sometimes can't decipher who they are. Some of them, some of them reveal themselves. You know what, whenever you hear of a great Christian, a great influential Christian that has impacted the world and all of a sudden he has rejected God and rejected religion and has walked away from the cause of Christ and you're like, what happened? Uh, the Bible makes it pretty clear. He didn't continue with us because he was not of us. That, that's pretty clear what happened. Don't let that cause your faith to stumble. He was a tire. That's what happened. But there's many that you and I will never know till judgment. But there's coming a day. There is coming a day when the distinction will be made. And all those who have been pretending, they'll say, but Lord, have we not done many mighty works in thy name? Have we not cast out devils in thy name? And he will say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. There is coming a day when the distinction will be made. And I would hate to think that I as a believer standing there watching as the social media guru is cast into hell and I am standing there realizing that I patterned my Christianity after someone that was just cast into hell and I come to the realization that I was never effective for the cause of Christ during my time on earth because I followed a pretender. Pattern yourself after the word of God. You say, Pastor John, all this preaching has got me worried. Am I a pretender? Well, Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter number 1 and verse number 10, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. If you say, yeah, I think I'm a Christian. My mama told me I accepted Christ when I was a little kid. Make your calling and election sure. Well, I've went to church my whole life, so I'm, I'm assuming I'm okay. Make your calling and election sure. It could be that the devil is using you for his purposes. But the Bible says that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. You see, the devil runs a risk when he puts a pretender in God's house. Because the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword dividing asunder the soul and the spirit. And the devil runs a risk when he puts a pretender in the house of God because if that pretender comes to the realization that he's been living a lie and he comes to the altar of God and he repents of his sin and calls on God for salvation, that pretender turns into a believer and he can be effective and make a difference for the cause of Christ. Whosoever will may come. I'm going to ask each of you to stand there where you are. Have Miss Debbie come to the piano. This morning I'm going to 
have two things. One, if you're here this morning and the Lord has dealt with your heart and you say, I don't know for sure that I'm a Christian. I don't know that I've ever trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. As Miss Debbie plays, I'm going to invite you to come to this altar, get my attention, allow us to take the Word of God and show you how you can know without a doubt that you're on your way to heaven. But then I'm also going to offer an invitation to the Christians. Perhaps you need to come and say, Lord, give me discernment. Lord, give me the ability to discern between the good and the evil. Help me, Lord, to rely on your word and follow your word. Help me, help me to live by your word and not by the teachings of man. Protect me from the false pretenders among us. If the Lord spoke to your heart, as Miss Debbie plays, you come.